0: Hello and welcome to The Overtake. I'm your host, John Bazella, the president and CEO of the Alliance for Automotive Innovation. This podcast is about the automotive industry and the people, politics, and technologies that shape it. Ours is an industry that has helped shape and has been shaped by history, from world wars to pandemics, and an industry that is constantly changing and evolving. The automotive industry has always been on the forefront of technological change. Over the decades, cars and trucks have evolved alongside the technology of the day, from hand cranks to electronic starters and internal combustion engines to electric motors and hydrogen fuel cells. Today, I'm very excited to be discussing the future of the industry with Cheryl Connolly. Cheryl has been described as one of the most creative people in business by Fast Company magazine. She has worked for the past 25 years as a futurist for Ford Motor Company. So, Cheryl Connolly, welcome to The Overtake. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. So, Chief Futurist. So, that's an awesome title. I very rarely come across it, especially in the corporate context. What is a Chief Futurist?
1: You know, I, I get asked that regularly, and I often tell people that when when I do, when people say, what do you do for a living? I often lie. I know that I say, if I'm a futurist, they're going to laugh, they're going to giggle, they put out their palm and ask for a palm reading, or they'll ask me where their crystal ball is. And I get it because it is kind of a silly name. And the irony, of course, of it making it even worse is that as two futurists, my job is to remind people that no one can predict the future, which is not quite as easy as it might sound. Because all of us have you know, lifetime of experiences. We have a worldview. We have a set of values that are deeply ingrained in us that shape our thoughts about how the world is going to progress moving forward. And my job is to say, what happens if those assumptions are wrong? Are our strategies resilient enough to weather that side of disruption? So my job more specifically is to help the enterprise learn to expect the unexpected.
0: Fantastic. So would you... Would you say this is unique to ford are there is there a, a a group of futurists that corporate futurists or you know how how unique is this position?
1: so I don't think that there are a lot of people that are that are walking around the corporate world with mm-hmm. the title of futurist. having said that though, I believe that the work that I do is very similar to somebody who does consumer insights who does long term planning or strategy product development it still feeds into all of those things and You know, I'm quick to remind people that Henry Ford once said, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses, is still the dilemma all businesses, particularly automotive, continue to uh, grapple with today. And so my job as a futurist is is to try to imagine a future that no one has yet to imagine. Because we can't simply just go out and ask a customer, what can we do to make your life easier three years from now? They don't know. And so we have to push the boundaries of innovation by exploring the things that are going to shape consumer values, and that's social, technological, economic, environmental, and political trends.
0: You know, speaking of the unimaginable, we're talking in the midst of a global pandemic. And so as I'm listening to you think about and talk about how you're looking at trends and thinking about the future... I want to ask you, how should we consider the impact of COVID on on our future broadly and especially with regard to the auto industry? I've I've heard people say, look, you know, COVID might accelerate trends that are currently underway, or it, it might change the way we do things fundamentally. And so help me understand how you're looking at the impact of COVID on future trends in the industry.
1: We just fielded our research for our 2021 trend book, so we it ran between somewhere between September and mid September to mid October, so it's this finite moment in time. But we spoke to thousands of people in 14 different countries, and what we heard was interesting. 80% of the people we spoke to said that they were overwhelmed by the changes they saw taking place in the world, and of course, COVID is a big part of that. When we asked when do you think the world will return to normal? About 50% of the people we spoke to said, it will not return to normal within a year, but it should be back to normal within two years. But there is about 5% of the people that said, I don't think they'll ever go back to normal. Like the world as we know it might never resume to what it looked like pre-COVID. And there's lots
0: of evidence to think that. So if we think about this in the context of sort of trends in mobility, and and sort of try and understand what that means, you know, in the COVID and if I dare say in the maybe post-COVID world, you know, we've seen a trend, for example, over the last several years, more car sharing, more ride sharing, for example. You know, do, does, does COVID change that in your view? I mean, that would seem to me to be kind of a big question if we're looking at the future of the auto industry, the impact of COVID on car sharing and ride sharing. Will it, will it increase private ownership? Will people be more comfortable owning a car as opposed to perhaps a year or two ago, more comfortable sharing one?
1: I think so. I, for one, you know, really felt like this shared ownership model was going to change the nature of automobile ownership, but not just automobiles. Now you put this major hurdle in called COVID and I think that's shifted the trajectory. Our research during that window of time I talked about like mid-September to mid-October, you know, told us that 50% of the people that we surveyed said because of the pandemic, they were less likely to ride a train, take the subway, get on a bus, or even do light rail or Metro. 58% said that they were less likely to travel by train. About just under half said that they were less interested in ride sharing or even taking a taxi. But I think as a result, and, and the number industry numbers don't bear this out yet, we have people saying, I think I need more vehicles in my home. Like, I, I think that personal vehicle ownership has now become a safety, a matter of part of the safety equation. And so that's a really interesting moment in time for us in the industry to see how we can rise to the challenge.
0: Yes. And so now what are those future vehicles going to look like? We're seeing a transformation in the way vehicles are, are propelled, for example. Also, you know, sort of the advanced safety systems and ultimately highly automated vehicles. Help us understand how you see those trends playing through the industry.
1: Well, let me back up a little bit and let's talk about, you know, daily life, you know, what this has done. So even before, even before we had even, looked at the pandemic, there was a shocking number of people that said they feel lonely on a regular basis. So this year, 50% of the people we spoke to, again in 14 different countries, said that they're lonely on a weekly basis. And you, if you're like me, you go, well, that's the eldest generation. You know, they've outlived their loved ones, um, their families moved away, that, you know, that's that's really probably the aging population. But much to my surprise, it was the youngest generation. So 64% of those people that would qualify as Generation Z report feeling lonely on a weekly basis during this past most recent survey. Baby boomers were significantly lower. They were at 36%. But the CAR is interesting because it has an unexpected role in terms of how you connect people. Because our research from a year ago, again, pre-COVID, over 50% of the people we spoke to said that their best conversations take place in the car. They take place when they're on a road trip, when they're with other people. And so we started to think about the car as, you know, not sheet metal, but a mode of connection. And now layer in COVID, and COVID has really changed the way that we think about our car because people are using them not just necessarily to go to point A to point B, but about one in five say they use it as a place to work. One in five say they use it as a place to get privacy.
0: You know, and I can see some of those thoughts and those ideas about how people use cars reflected in some of Ford's advertising and messaging. I mean, you can see the notion in the Lincoln brand of the vehicles a sanctuary. (laughs) So, you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about this research and these trends, and then, you know, you can sort of see how it could affect the way you know, a company would express their brand promise. Uh Let's talk about the future of mobility more broadly, going forward beyond COVID into the future as far as you would venture. What does the personal transportation and personal mobility of the future look like? Is it completely automated pod that moves me from point A to point B that I might not own that just swings by and gets me? Is it, you know, what 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 do you think the key trends are that people should be looking at as they think about the future of personal mobility? So that's easy for
1: me to answer. Um, it's electric. I, mean, I think the industry is going all in for it, is going all in on electric vehicles. And the it's hard as an American to kind of imagine that, right? Because we have a trend that we call the green paradox. Three quarters of the people we surveyed said something like, I'm actively working to change, to fight climate change. But when we dug a little deeper, like half of them said something to the effect of, I only make changes as long as the inconvenience is small or non-existent. And so there's this gap between our intentions to kind of do right by the environment and what we actually do. And, I think Ford took a major leap forward last year when we came out with the all-electric Ford Mustang Mach-E. It wasn't just eco-friendly, but it was a beautifully sleek design vehicle in the heritage of the Mustang, you know, pony car. And it hopefully started to reconcile this notion that you can have mileage and muscle. It doesn't have to be one or the other, but there is still a lot of work to be done. 72% of the people we surveyed over a year ago said, what they really worry about is the infrastructure. Are there gonna be charging stations? What happens you know, if I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I don't have a, a place to charge my vehicle? Interestingly, Germany, when they were putting together their COVID stimulus package, one of the things that they did was they put a lot of emphasis on electric vehicles. And so they put in a stimulus package so that every fueling station, I think there are 14,000 of them would be required Would be given stimulus and incentive to convert uh, their station so that they would also have electric charging there and so i think that sort of wholesale change you know is a little bit like we talked about the working from home like it just takes one thing that accelerates the adoption curve in ways that are hard to imagine
0: right and and infrastructure clearly is going to be critical i drive an electric vehicle myself i drive a battery electric vehicle and, and people don't necessarily understand the benefits tell 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 us what you mean when you say benefits what are the benefits of an electric vehicle there are societal benefits but there are also personal benefits so what are those benefits
1: so i think i think increasingly you know we talk about something called ethical consumption and for every consumer price quality convenience and service they're going to be top of mind that they, they are you know key determinants in when you whether you decide to buy or not but increasingly there's an and there that are tied to what are the intrinsic virtues of this product what are the values of the company behind it what does it say about me when i choose to do business with you and so i imagine in your own personal experience when people see you driving an electric vehicle. It is showcasing to the world something that's important to you, something that you care about, and I bet it's led to some unexpected or new conversations that you might not have had otherwise.
0: True, it is true. People people ask me lots of questions. How far does it go? Is one of the questions they ask me. The other other question: Why are you driving that? Like as if you know it's 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 just unusual. And and but but one of the things that I find and and that people are surprised about when I tell them this is they're fun to drive. Like they just, it's a different experience than a gasoline powered car or a diesel powered car. And, and, and it's, it, it just, there's a, you know, just something enjoyable about the immediacy of the, of the torque and the pickup. And that just, you know, that, that there's something about that that's different than what we usually drive. So this is a trend right i mean the the idea of electrification i mean we are going in this direction right and it's a question of how quickly we get there whether the infrastructure is there to support it and those types of questions right what other what other questions would we need to be considering as we look at an electric future beyond infrastructure and you know things like range and range anxiety which i guess speaks to the question of how much energy storage you can store in a battery what other what are the other trends are you looking at that you expect would accelerate electrification
1: so i think that you know everybody range anxieties on everybody lip everybody's lips but my job is to kind of think you know 10 15 years out imagine that the iphone that you purchased for a thousand dollars is worth a single dollar in 2035. like all of the amazing features and capabilities that we find in these little handheld devices will be like worth pennies. They won't be, and it gives you a sense of how dramatically different the scale will be. So I think there is great innovation and energy putting behind this. And there might be Americans that go, like, I'm not really sure where we stand on this. You know, is this a flavor of the month for the current administration? And for Ford Motor Company, it's definitely not. We have the leadership of Bill Ford, who is a lifelong environmentalist. He says his two great passions, Um, in his life have been nature and cars, and he has spent his 40-plus year career trying to reconcile those two. And so it really comes as no surprise that when the United States was moving away from the Paris Climate Agreement, Ford was the only full-line U.S. auto manufacturer to say, we're committed to trying to meet the guidelines that, that the country had agreed to. We have really aggressive goals to include carbon neutral, be carbon neutral globally by 2050 using a hundred percent locally sourced renewable energy for manufacturing plants by 2035, and then eliminating single use plastics by 2030.
0: Right. You know, and you meant, you mentioned Bill, Bill Ford. It's it, let's stick with that a bit because it, it is, the Ford Motor Company has is unique in many ways. Absolutely. I, I mean,
1: I've been with the company for going on 25 years and I was in the audience in 2011 when Bill Ford gave kind of this seminal Ted talk and you could have heard a pin drop in the auditorium when he said to that audience of, you know, heads of states, captains of industries. um, They, he said, I spent the last three years of my life thinking every day, how am I going to sell as many cars as possible? And he goes, but I finally reached a moment in my life that I've begun to worry. What happens if we continue to sell as many cars as possible? And so I think it was really shocking to hear the great grandson of Henry Ford, you know, say to the world, I'm worried, you know, we don't want to keep adding more and more vehicles to the planet. And he has this, he frames it in this beautiful philosophy that mobility is a, a fundamental human right. You know, giving people the ability to move, where, when, how they want to is critical to the advancement of freedom and innovation. And I think like for someone like me as an employee, I go, you know, we're not just making cars, we're making people's lives better.
0: I, I want to come back to something you said a moment ago about sort of mobility and movement as a right. You know, the when I I, I look at that and I think about, you know, again, we talked about this trend of electrification. We talked a little bit about this trend of more highly automated vehicles. And I want to combine sort of – I want to get a sense of two trends that in my mind are kind of confusing me. On the one hand, I can see how a more highly automated future can lead to – I don't. maybe this is the right word – the commoditization, if that's a word. Personal mobility becomes a commodity the pod picks me up at my house. It drops me off at my office. I don't really care what kind of pod it is. is you know, as long as it's moving me along and as long as it rec- you know, recognizes my smartphone and gives me my sort of data set and my entertainment, and then I get out and I move on. And you know, on the other hand, there's the Mustang. This idea that personal mobility is also aspirational, And that it it can be a thing of beauty or high design. And that it can speak to some, it can say something about who I am, not just about where I'm going. So how do I think about those two trends?
1: It it does seem to be a tension between the two. And I I can't personally wait until there's an autonomous autonomous future. Like the idea of getting in my car, going to sleep and waking up at my destination, that is about as good as it gets. In my view of the future, but there are still a a really strong contingent of car enthusiasts, adrenaline junkies, people who say things like oil runs through my veins and Ford has to develop parallel paths for both things, right? For the, the commoditization that might inevitably come with autonomous vehicles. But they also are still investing heavily in performance vehicles. Even that the release of the must, of the, not just the Mustang Mach-E, but look at the Bronco, like their return to nature and all the capabilities and legacy of that. So I think they've done a really, really good job of nurturing, you know, both ends of that spectrum. I think for most part, you know, the latest word on AVs is that it's going to take a little longer than we had originally thought. And for most Americans, I think they're okay with that. I mean, if you look globally, the countries that are most excited, most eager for an autonomous future are China and India. They kind of flip-flop back and forth between number one and two. But those, of course, are the most populated countries in the world. They have the densest cities. Either they have the the highest rates of accidents and road fatalities. For them, it's not just about convenience, but that's a safer future. But relative to some of the Western countries, the U.S., Germany, UK, they are, they're at about a 50% rate of enthusiasm.
0: So you mentioned a few minutes ago that 80% of the people that you've surveyed in your trends report believe they still have a personal ability to make a positive impact. And so if we look forward Where is the opportunity, the biggest opportunity for Ford Motor Company and for the industry to make a positive impact in the future over the next 10 to 15 years?
1: Well, you know, when Bill Ford talks about mobility is a fundamental human right, you know, it's not just about mobility in terms of getting point A and point B. There's also some elements of upward mobility and what that can look like. And the Ford Fund has done some really remarkable things in that space. For instance, we have a program, a law program that we put out to try to address Black Americans who make up they make up more than 13% of the U.S. population, but only 5% of the lawyers that are out there. And so to address that gap, Ford developed the Ford Law Career Academy in partnership with the Ford Motor Company, for, a fund and the Henry Ford Learning Institute. And it helps equip young Black students with the resources and networking needed to succeed in the field of law.
0: You know, I, it, it's, it's great to hear that, that passion and that energy. And it certainly makes me feel better about the future, about the future of the industry, uh, but also about the future in general. And so, Cheryl Connolly, it's been great to speak with you. And I really want to thank you for being on The Overtake.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I love talking to you.
0: The Overtake is produced by the Alliance for Automotive Innovation, Forbes Tate, and Goat Rodeo. Our host, that's me, is John Bazella. Thanks to Cheryl Connolly and the good people over at Ford Motor Company for sharing their expertise with us. To learn more about how we are the leading edge of transforming personal mobility in a cleaner, safer, and smarter manner, visit us at autosinnovate.org. Subscribe to The Overtake on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss the next episode. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating or review and share it with your friends. And if you want to continue the conversation online, find us on social media. We're at the Alliance for Automotive Innovation on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.